Hello and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, broadcast live and direct from Straight Stuff Studios here on a chilly fall evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. I believe we're uh, into episode 85. 85. 85. Show yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds right. Yeah, and if you're keeping track at home, I'm not. So it's probably 85, maybe 84, maybe 86. You know, we we wing it. We, yeah. we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. So thank you for joining us. Um, you can always reach us uh, every week, uh, Sunday nights. Well, we've been doing eight. There might be there. We might be thinking about an earlier earlier time, but you know, well, we'll yeah, we we'll, might be thinking about seven. Yeah. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. Um, for those of us that, uh, for those of you out there that that don't listen live, I guess it really won't make much of a difference anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, just keep on keeping on. Just do the same thing. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got a great show for you tonight. I won't keep uh, I won't keep us any longer here. I'll introduce our host with the most, Mr. Rick Atwater, ladies Yay! and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Internet Radio and our show, Straight Stuff on Addictions. Our tag tonight is, she never thought she'd make it. No, I did not. Yeah, I never, th- I never, th- I forgot to ask you what you thought about that title, but what, whatever. It, I, that was what I got. You I know? Mean, it works, it works. Okay. I really couldn't come up with anything when you asked me. Yeah, so that one, that's what, that's what I got anyway. So don't th- do what I did? Don't, I don't know. We were thinking about that one, too. So thanks for joining us tonight, where we are every Sunday night at 8 and maybe 7. <laughs> we'll keep, we'll you, keep posted. you posted on that. <laughs> Thanks to our engineer Chris. Hey, and our guest Michelle. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and you can um, you can call in. I forgot to tell you it's a call-in show. Oh, but cool. I don't know. We, we don't get that many call-ins. So um, and the last guy was half in the bag and he called from New York. So wow. I'm not I'm not sure what we're going to get. Oh, but it, our our calling number is three two three seven nine two two nine seven seven. That's three two three seven nine two two nine seven seven. So call us if you have a question or a comment, or you just want to say hi to Michelle. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you can tweet us live at Rick Atwater. Um, and uh, we can get your tweets while we're on the air, and we, we certainly can respond can. to you. Yeah, yeah, you I'm checking. I'm looking right now. Okay, we're looking at that. At that's Twitter at Rick Atwater. That's right. And so hashtag, remember, hashtag recovery. You can uh, always go to recoveryinternetradio.com and listen to us live there, um, or you can get all of our archive shows at recoveryinternetradio.com. Recoveryinternetradio.com. Thank you. Um, and I guess. That that's um, enough for now, and I think we'll 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 get we'll get rolling with Michelle. <laughs> you ready for that? I'm totally ready. Totally ready. As ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Well, all right. So we're talking about um, well, there's a couple. There's a reason that we're talking about heroin addiction, and. And, I, and I'm glad you're here. And this is like we were kidding around. This is like kind of your debut because you're going to speak at a an, at an, an event, event, a really important event, an important event. I'm so honored that you guys asked me to do that. I really am. I'm glad that you can. Uh, it is this Wednesday, the 16th. Yes. At seven o'clock. At MCC, McHenry County College. Yep. Auditorium. Mm-hmm. And it's heroin, <clears throat> a community's response to a community crisis. That's a very appropriate word. You think it's a crisis? I it's like a horrible crisis epidemic. It's a plague. It's awful. Um, I I never knew 
when I was in my addiction, when I was kind of like at the tail end of it and I was coming out of it, I started hearing about heroin being in middle schools. And mm. I don't know if I was lucky or unfortunate that I really didn't get crazy with my addiction until I was in my mid-20s, but I can't even imagine middle schoolers abusing or even using or being exposed to such a horrible thing. You know, like a lot of people can't even, be, you know, like it's tough for them to believe that this is hap- this is happening. It's here. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was in... What happened, do you think? I mean... I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. You just know what happened to you. I know what happened to me, and I know that... It's 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 unimaginable, and it really is, but it's extremely accessible out here. I know that McHenry County is close to Waukegan, and it's not so far from Chicago either, and those two cities are, are prevalent when it comes to heroin distribution. And Rockford? And Rockford as well, yeah. you know, so it's kind of just like... It's available. Would that have would would Rockford have been a place that you would go? No, or? I would, like strictly west side of Chicago. West side of Chicago is that you think that's where most of the people in this area would, would travel? I know a lot of people that I dealt with in in my addiction were, I don't know, just adamant about going to Chicago rather than anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know why. I think a lot, a big reason about that is just the lifestyle that comes with heroin addiction. Hmm like a fast life mm-hmm. and uh the it's like flirting with danger every day is that what it is is that what when you say fast life is that what you mean like that the dangerous part it's it's dangerous and it's an extremely fast life but i mean it's your your thoughts your whole reason for being every day constantly just obsessing about where am I going to go, how am I going to get it, who do I have to talk to, how am I going to get money, who do I have to lie to, who do I have to steal from, um, what's valuable in my house, in my mom's house, in my friend's house, what pawn shops can I go to, can I sell my link card, like, it is just a nonstop race in your brain to... That's the fast, that's it, what's fast, it, it's is, all, it just it, becomes all about that. It is, and it's dangerous just, you know, um, going to ugly parts of Chicago and just flirting with danger and dodging police and dealing with, you know, gang members and drug dealers and just, I don't how do, know. How does a nice, um, a nice little um, Caucasian girl like yourself pull that off? Um, I mean, come on. Like, I can't, I just, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, cute little Michelle Walton <laughs> down the street on the west side of Chicago. Does that happen? Yeah, it happened every day, twice a day. I would jump in a car and uh, just drive down to the city and, um, you know, had various people that I would meet up with down there. And, I mean, I brought them a lot of money every single day, so they were... They're nice to you, I suppose. They were extremely friendly to me. Like, I probably bought them a couple Cadillacs or, you know, whatever they were, the 300 S's, Chrysler's, whatever. Those were popular with all my guys, too. Mm -hmm. I I probably bought them at least one or so in my, in like the peak of my using. And, um... So what you're saying is if you got the cash, you'll be treated okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's... Because you're a customer. Exactly. 
A valued customer. A valued customer. Like if, if drug dealers had preferred cards, like a jewel preferred card, I would have like more like a. You'd gold, have a preferred card. You'd have a gold. You'd have a gold card, like Amex VIP or whatever. Status, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Something to like brag about. I don't mean to make it funny. No, I, I don't. I don't think I don't get that. But I mean that you're telling me what was in your head at that time. Yeah. That was like you felt like a preferred customer. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of money. Yeah, and and. Would you? I've heard that sometimes. I mean, we're we're totally off the off That's the script. Right. We're here, off the script. We're, oh, we're going where we're going here. So let's go. Let's take the ride. That's all right. I just you know yeah. I want people to be educated. Like I don't really want to focus much on you know my childhood and whatnot. I don't really think that that's really what's important. What's important to me is to get just to raise awareness and let, you know, especially parents and young people know, like, what, how just, how ugly it is, and, like, it's so easy to get caught up in, like, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like why I don't listen to rap music nowadays. They're glorifying drug use and money and women and, like, their cars and their jewelry and all of this stuff, and it's just, like, it's so easy to get caught up in all of that, in that lifestyle, but that's not, today, I know that that's not. That's not what you want. It's not what I want, and it's not what's important, like. Here's what I was going to ask you. Okay. There was, like, um, I, I had heard that there were people that did nothing but do the driving back and forth. Oh, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah, I mean. I lost my license, and. <laughs> I haven't driven my own car for too long now, but I mean, there were people that were just flat on their ass broke, but they had a car and they had a driver's license and they were my BFF. They were <laughs> my driver and, yeah. you know, I didn't have to get And were they, were they usually using dope too or Absolutely. were they just driving? That's how I paid them to get me to and So you would, yeah, okay. Yeah, I had something they wanted and they had something that I needed. So. Right. That sounds like, that sounds like a... Yeah, like, a a business, like a kind of a drug BFL. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, we basically just used each other. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a DBBF? What's that? That's a drug. Oh, drug BF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just, like, cooked up a whole new, a whole new thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, it, like, actually, now that you say that, like, a few people come to mind. And, um, you know, I I haven't really spoken to anybody that I used to use with or sell to, but it is... It's really awesome, like, um, when I go to my HA meetings on Tuesday night. That's Heroin Anonymous at Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at the Rosecrans Building in McHenry. Okay, it's a, it's Heroin a, Anonymous, Heroin 7 o'clock, Rosecrans Building, McHenry. It's an awesome meeting. Okay. And uh, I see people there that were, you know, a part of my addiction, and it's just, it's so refreshing to see those faces wanting recovery, Right. And to be able to help them get well instead of keeping them sick. Is it is it hard for you to see? I mean, do you ever see people that you were using with but not in recovery settings? Oh yeah. And how? What's that like for you? Um. I mean, if they're if they're under the influence, really, it's not. It doesn't affect me. It. I mean, it's not that it doesn't affect me at all. But mostly, I just, you know. It's not like I'm out there. I'm always carrying the message, but, you know, I tell them that 
if I can do it, anybody can. Mm. And, you know, if you if you want it, you can see me at a meeting. Mm. I'm really cautious about who I give my phone number to. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm always out there with my handout willing to next help the next person. Yeah, so it doesn't. Like, I would think that some people would be, like, real concerned about running into people, especially in people that were in the life, you know, with you. Right. But you doesn't sound like that. You know, you don't seek them out, but it doesn't no, bother you that much. I don't seek them out, and I've I've found that um, <clears throat> I just survived to my thirty second birthday last month, and I found that you know the people that I use with were you know they're close to my same age, and I'm finding, or maybe I'm just hoping that you know we're coming to the age where we know that if we don't get it now, that we're I mean. We're going to die junkies. And that, I mean, there was a point in time where I was okay with that. I was totally okay with Yeah, you, mean, don't, you don't meet a lot of old junkies. A few, you but don't, not many. because they're either in jail or they die. And it's right. really it's really unfortunate. But, I mean, it's... Well, it's interesting to me that you said I survived my until my 32nd birthday. I did. And, well, first of all, congratulations Thank on you. that. And then second <laughs> of all, that, you know, I mean, I don't, I understand it. But right. Citizens out there would, might be like, what? It was actually my sponsor, and also she's also my best friend. Her name's Amanda. Um, my birthday was last month, and we were talking about my birthday party, and I told her, I'm putting a 27 on my cake. And she was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I said, yeah, I am. It's my birthday. I'll do whatever I want. And she said, no, Michelle, you can't do that. You have survived 32 years and you made it all the way through your heroin addiction and that's not common heroin addicts don't make it to their 32nd birthday you have to celebrate the fact that you made it and i you know that's but you didn't the 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 thing is you didn't know that when you were using you were in your in the midst of it right that wasn't even a it wasn't a thought to you that you might perish no i mean that I might. There was a point in my addiction where I tried, I tried to kill myself. Yeah, you over, just didn't, you didn't care. I didn't care. I was just, <clears throat> I was just tired of the whole thing, and I never thought that I could come out of this. I never thought that I could turn my life around. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I was worth it. There was just, I mean, just a lot of just black darkness, horrible horrible, morbid thoughts in my head. That would be hopelessness and despair? Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing less than that. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just never thought that I could get better. I thought that I dug, I just dug a hole so deep that I'd never, ever, ever be able to... And you were just going to run it on out? Yeah. 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 I remember... Were you um, going to OD on dope? That was my plan, but yeah. I kept waking up. and i would get mad that i woke up i'd be like screaming to god like why do you keep waking me up like what is the point i don't i don't want to live anymore and my mom said she'd be listening like mom i'm sorry if you're listening if this is hard for you to hear but i mean that's the honest to goodness truth is i just i was done with life right and you know i mean i do think that the citizens will find that hard to imagine that that you could get to that point 
But let me let's I, you know I know we didn't I don't want to spend a lot of time I don't want to go into childhood and blah blah blah. But what I do want to get to is what we were talking about before the show about you know that whole normal the idea of of a heroin addict being somebody that's not you know somehow fundamentally not normal. I don't think it's I mean. That's like what I was saying before the show actually started. Um, I don't think my story is unique in any way and that I'm not a unique heroin addict in any way, but I want people to know that uh, the disease of addiction, and it is an actual disease, it doesn't discriminate because if you want to talk about childhood and the way that I was raised, my childhood was storybook. My parents were happily married. I did not come from a broken home. I did really good in school. We always, me and my sisters were always in extracurricular activities. I got good grades on my report card, was in honor classes, and, you know, my dad worked seven days a week if he could, and he was a wonderful provider for my family. I had two of everything I wanted. Um, We went on vacations all the time. Like, if you want to look at it on paper, like, yeah, my childhood was amazing. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to come from... A broken home, like my parent, my parents were not addicts either. They mm-hmm. were, they did not have a problem with alcohol or drugs. And I just want people to know that you don't have to come from a broken home. You don't have to be beaten as a child. Your parents fall down drunks and everything. Like you can come from a quote unquote normal family dynamic and still, you know, be an addict or an alcoholic. Yeah, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think a lot of people think that there's like underlying, there has to be underlying issues for this to occur. Right. And it really wasn't, that really isn't no. the case for you. No, it wasn't. Yeah. My parents were, I mean, they're, you know, they were their days when I was like, like when I became a teenager, I think maybe like 15, 16. My mom will attest to this, too, that I was a little rambunctious, but was I a bad kid? No. wasn't a bad kid. I didn't skip school. I think I was kidding with you, and I said, don't tell me you were a cheerleader. I was, said, I was on... No, I was you, on were pa, you were a pommy, right? I was a pommy in junior high, and I was on the flag <laughs> corps in high school, and uh-huh. yeah, but I mean, I was a little rambunctious, um... I've heard throughout my recovery that people say that before drugs and alcohol, we always had some kind of addiction that kind of like was a kickoff. And I always, you know, had a problem with men. And the reason for that, I I believe and what I have found throughout my recovery is my my parents were strict, but not super strict. They just wanted us to not be denied anything and have every opportunity that any other kid would have had. So... I think you said they were like old fashioned. They were old fashioned. fashioned. Yeah. They were old fashioned. Like if you want to date a boy, they expect him to come to the house, come to the door, meet your parents, you know, be polite, show respect and I mean, oh my god, is that so terrible? Like maybe fifteen, fourteen year olds wouldn't be getting pregnant if they actually had to meet somebody's parents, you know. I don't know. Have you ever thought what you would do if you were if you were a mom and you're I am a mom. You're a mom? Well, I mean, I have a daughter. She yeah. just turned six years old and yeah. she does not identify me as her mother. She mm-hmm. identifies my mom and my older sister as mom. Mm-hmm. And that's today 
I am okay with that. There was a point in my life where I would be hmm. spitting nails, kicking, screaming, fighting, and um, but today my level of acceptance with that whole hmm. thing, I'm okay with it because I know that I forfeited my mommy rights a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be getting those back, or how's that going to work? I don't know. Right now, I just am totally blessed and very grateful that my family was able to step up to the plate and take my daughter and take care of her and not deny her anything that any other child would have nowadays. Like, mm -hmm. my older sister is wonderful to her. My older sister took her to Disneyland. My mom takes her on trips all the time. Like, she's in gymnastics and soccer. She's mm -hmm. totally happy, wonderful. Ashley met her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's totally happy, wonderful. What's her name? Super smart. Her name is Evie. Evie? Yeah. And she's just, I mean, she's perfect. She's an angel on earth. And I'm just forever grateful to my family that they stepped up and did what, what I couldn't. And that, you know, she could have ended up as property of the state. She could have ended up in a foster home, shoved in a corner, not being paid attention to. You know, my family did what I couldn't. And so I'm, it, that seems like that that was probably tough to come to terms with. I mean, for a long, I actually went two and a half years without seeing or speaking to my mom and my daughter. Hmm. And uh, my mom will attest to the fact that she was like my chief enabler for a really long time. Hmm. And then one day she just said enough and she actually put a restraining order on me. Hmm. And uh, I went two and a half years without seeing her or my daughter or talking to either one of them. And looking back, it's probably one of the best things my mom has ever done for me mm -hmm. because it gave me, it gave me just something else to fight for, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, my mom is my biggest fan and my biggest cheerleader. And it's so amazing to me now that I can call my mom and she actually picks up the phone. Mm -hmm. but, she doesn't mean, have your number blocked. Right, exactly. Because yeah. that, that was the case for a little while. She picks up the phone. We can talk. I can tell her if I'm struggling with stuff. She tells me she's proud of me and that she loves me. And for a really long time, I, don't, I, never, I didn't think that I would ever hear my mom say those words to me. Mm. So, I mean, stuff like, that, big. stuff like that makes it worth it. It, yeah. it really does. Yeah. And I mean, we're, so, yeah, so we're, we're already started to talk about a little bit about the recovery part, which I, I definitely want to get to, but I, I want to get up, get, go back a little bit okay. and go through like at least to some extent, as much as you want to share how we got there. What, what did you, what, what things needed to happen for you to get to that point um, to, to need to recover? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> right? Like when uh when You've been in treatment a couple times. I've huh? been in treatment like too many times. Like I can't even count. I think I've been to family services before it changed over to Rosecrans at least like seven times. I was at South Street and Woodstock a couple times. I was in rehab twice. I've been to jail. I don't know if that's I mean, they say it's a rehabilitation or it's a correctional facility. Right. Where were you in jail? They're, they're supposed to correct you. It doesn't happen. Yeah. I was, uh, the first time I went to jail, I was in Cook County Jail. Mm. Yikes. And I was there for a little over two months. That mm -hmm. was in 2010. And then um, 
last last August, I got uh, arrested on a warrant and went to the McHenry County Jail, and I was there for 45 days. Hmm. I was released on October the 5th. So hmm. last weekend, I was like, yay, look at me. I've been out of jail for a year. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who who would have thought that that was going to be the big marker? But you know, you know what's whatever. crazy? What a big marker is is that when like special stuff happens to me, like I got, I just got hired at a new job last week. Like, I have to call my probation officer and like let her know that these things are going on. I actually enjoy calling my probation officer <laughs> and sharing things with her. It's like, it's like crazy. I would never ever thought, you know. Well, you got people on your side, and it. It feels good. You feel that? I do. And yeah. there's actually um, there was a man that works for a, a church organization here in Woodstock. I spoke with him last week. Before I got hired at this job, they gave me a little assistance with my rent, and he told me that he truly believes that my life is worth investing in. And mm. I was just like, floored. I couldn't even, like, never, ever, ever would I have ever imagined someone saying that my life is worth an investment. It's like people believe in you, yeah. whether even if you're not 100% convinced that you believe in you, right? Right. Yeah. Like I was like right before we started the show, I was like, oh my god, is this really happening? Yeah, yeah. You're saying is this, is this like a dream? It is, is this, like a dream. Is this some kind of scam? It is. It's like this long, long dream that I'm just not waking up from. It's like I don't want to wake up. Though. Are you pretty? Con- are you pretty convinced now that this is for real and it's I, not a scam? I just. Are you even, awake for this evening? I just can't <laughs> even believe that this is my life today. Yeah. I really can't. Like a year ago, if you would have told me that one day. Your life as it is is going to be inspirational and hopeful, and you're going to be out there like helping people. I'd be like, What are you on? (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, this is just, Mm -hmm. I just feel so blessed and I'm just so grateful for my life. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's it's completely changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Like total. So what? So let's go back to the things that it that it took to get to this point. I know you told me some things about you know getting start you know boyfriends and how that right. led you to one one thing led to another. Right. There. Well, boyfriends. I mean, it was just kind of like I never had my own. My dad passed away when I was nineteen, and he always held me to really high standards, like in school, and just you know always wanting the best for us, but being like always pushing us to do better so I think in in some sense that I never felt like I was good enough for him or that I would never live up to his standards so after he passed away when I was 19 and after he passed away it was just kind of it just happened that I started dating guys that didn't have such high standards and just accepted me for who I was and what I was, and I liked the way that feel felt. So, I mean, if they were smoking weed, I was smoking weed because I wanted to fit in. And, you know, ecstasy, I was doing ecstasy, but never. And then when I was 23 years old, I tried heroin. I was dating a guy named Mitchell, and uh, he, we were dating for a few weeks, and then he finally came out and he told me, like, I'm a heroin addict. And my first reaction was, no, you're not. In my mind, heroin addicts were, like, dirty and junky and, like, Mm kind of gross, which we are Mm -hmm. most of the time. (laughs) Um, 
and I didn't want to believe him. And why? I, why wasn't he like that? I mean, no. I mean, he worked. He worked. He was put together well, and all this. Or maybe he was just hiding it, you know, because I really didn't. Was, you say he wore a suit and went to. He did. He wore like like dress pants and like a dress shirt and a tie. Everyone who's like worked in insurance or something and like went to work in the city. But like looking back. I was totally naive to, like, to the whole game, the whole scheme of things. So, like, maybe, I don't know, I was always really high-functional, like, had two jobs and my own car and bills paid, whatever, whatever. So maybe he was just using me for my money and it was all a big cover-up. I don't know. That's probably what was really going on. Yeah. So, um... But he looked put together. He looked put together, but let's remember, I just said that my standards in men weren't very good back then. So. Mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> um... So he always made such a big deal about heroin that just, I guess, curiosity just kind of got to me. And one day I just caved and I tried it and it made me sick to my stomach. And I was totally just beyond like orbit, like in another world. And uh, just kind of went along with it because he gave me the attention that I wanted and, you know, we were just doing this together. And then that went on for like nine months. And me and him just stopped dating, and uh, I moved to central Wisconsin. I was up there for like a year and a half. Did you cop a habit while you were with him? Who? With Mitchell? Or were you just dabbling? It was like dabbling, but I remember getting dope sick for the first time, and I was just like, oh, my God, I have like the worst blue or something. Like, (laughs) no, you're dope sick. Like, what do you mean? I don't even do it that much. So I was totally naive. And uh, I just upped and moved to central Wisconsin with a guy mm-hmm. that I met at a party. Mm-hmm. Total, like, spur of the moment. Didn't even know the dude. Just upped and jumped states with him. And uh, I was with him for, like, a year and a half. And then we broke up. And uh, I moved in with one of my best girlfriends up there. And I would always come down on the weekends to visit uh, friends and family. And I was out one night. And I ran into a guy named Steve who I was just, like, had, like, the biggest crush on in high school. And here we are 11 years later, and I see him at, uh, we were at Freddy's in Fox Lake, and he approached me, we were talking, I ended up going home with him, and uh, after that I came down on the weekends to visit him for a couple months, and then um, finally moved back to Illinois and moved in with him. And the whole time, knowing that, he was he was selling heroin, mm-hmm. but not using it. Mm. So I was okay with that because as long as he wasn't using it, like it was okay. Right. And then uh, I moved in with him, and we were together for. Like, Can I ask you, like, why somebody would do that? Just what? because it's so profitable, or okay. why would somebody do it and not use it? He made a lot of money, and he was on probation. Yeah. He was on probation, he was in... Like, which means he would get tested. Which I, yeah, and he was doing IOP classes. It was like a stipulation of his probation. So, yeah, he was getting drug tested yeah. and whatnot. So... Yeah, so he couldn't use it. So, right. I don't. I truly believe that he didn't want to either. Like, he really wanted to turn his life around. Yeah. At least I hope so, because he was, he was such a wonderful guy. Had he been a heroin addict? And oh, that, yeah. So he'd been a heroin addict, got in trouble... And got clean. He got in trouble. But he just never stopped selling. Quite a few times he got in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was the baddest of all the bad boys that I've been with. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we so were together. Like your 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 men disease seems like it progressed too. Oh sure sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The baddest of all the bad boys. The baddest of all. So we got to go. Boys. Yeah, we got to go to the baddest of all the bad boys, Absolutely. and we got to go to the heroine of all the heroinist I mean, heroines. Go yeah. big or go home. You yeah. Know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So we were together for like five six months. And we're not using heroin, but he's selling it out of our house and all of this. And then one day he was just, like, acting funny. This, like, was a couple of days in a row. And um, there's only one bathroom in the house. And he was in the bathroom for a while. I was like, oh, hi, I need to pee. And he was like, okay, I'll be out in a second. And I heard him in the bathroom with a lighter. And he does not smoke cigarettes. And uh, he wouldn't be closet smoking weed either because I was totally chiefing out when we were together. So I kicked the bathroom door in and, like, caught him, like, needle in hand. And at that point, I had never tried injecting heroin. And um, if I was just kind of like, you know, if you're if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he was like, okay, I'll give you a bag. And I was like, no, I want to do it that way because hmm. I'd never tried injecting So let me, it. let me stop you there. What was your thinking at that, at that moment? Like, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. I have no idea. Okay. It's I wish like, I could tell you. Oh, you're going to... It's like... You uh, know. You're going to blow your toe off with a pistol. I, give me that. I want to blow my... T- I mean, you know, it, you know, it, sounds, no, it sounds... It doesn't make any sense. It's but, insanity. Right. It's Thank you. It's, it's insanity. It is insanity. So if you try to... Un- if people try to understand that, they're going to have a... They're not going to... They're not going to get there because... I don't even understand it. doesn't it. make any sense. It doesn't. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to... I think we need to stop for... Take a, take a quick... Uh, take a quick five... And then we're going to come back, and we'll we'll kind of pick it up right about just as the bathroom door goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Should be an easy place to remember okay. there. Yeah. Okay. I can, I got to have a picture. Oh my god. Okay. All right. So, so we're going to listen to a we're going to listen to a quick quick tune here. We'll be back with you in uh, what are we going to hear in four. The song is awesome. It, it's uh, Stain. so stained so far so far away. The song okay. It's special. Well, okay. Well, for for all those out, yeah, I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, Thanks for being with us, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is my life It's not what it 
Hi, thanks for being with us here tonight. If you're just joining us, uh, we're having a very, very informative conversation. Thank you for being here. For sure. Absolutely, uh, and I hope you enjoyed <laughs> the music. Uh, we used to have a couple of you're, – you're listening to Recovery Internet Radio, obviously. Uh, if, Like I said, if you're just joining us, you might not have known that, so now you do. Um, we just want to say a quick word about uh, some friends of ours. Check out DoubleTakeChicago.com. DoubleTake is the name of the band. They have got a gig coming up. Oh, really soon here. Um, do, 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 do. October 19th, Saturday, Manhattan's American Bar and Grill. That's in Carroll Stream. Um, you can check out all their all their upcoming dates and listen to some samples of their music at DoubleTakeChicago.com. And if if you listen to the um, if you listen to their promos, what's the song you're going to hear? I think it's going to be a little bit of. Uh, <laughs> so that's what you're gonna hear. They sing it much better than me. Yeah, um, they, just, they just made some awful, awful noise. <laughs> that's just a taste of uh, how much better they will be than than we are yeah, here tonight. So, yeah. um, I think that we're gonna we're gonna keep it at that and uh, get back to our conversation because I think okay, it's a, a so very good topic. So let's get we'll we'll get back to it. So we so we were we said we were gonna we, we, we left were, off. With we the, were kicking the, down kick, the bathroom door. Kicking down the bathroom door. Kicking down the bathroom door. And then we were, we were talking about the insanity of you. Saying, my boyfriend. If you're gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. He yeah. says, "I'll give you a bag." You say, "No, I want to." No, I want to do, do it doing. that way. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that too goes back to when I was running around with Mitchell. He was always injecting, but I never did that. So it was kind of just like the whole curiosity thing. And uh, Steve said to me, and I remember this clear as day. He looked at me and he said, "Your life will never be the same after this." Hmm. And if he was never right about anything ever, 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 he was right about that. And I want to say this, too, that when you did your little blip for, you know, promoting this evening, Mm -hmm. um, some people may have thought or interpreted that as I was in a way blaming him Hmm. for my use. I want everyone to know that that is absolutely not true and any way, shape, or form that um, he always had some kind of remorse for showing me that mm-hmm. way of life, but I always took full responsibility for my own actions because mm-hmm. it's not like he held me at gunpoint and told me to do it. Right. It was my choice and... Your curiosity. My your... curiosity, my insanity with boys, whatever you want to call it. And the thing is, I think people think... You know, like you were already you were already on the trail. You were snorting it. You right. were injecting it, but you were snorting it. You'd already been dope sick. Right. You're already you're already a, a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. You just changed you just changed uh, uh, ingestion methods. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, he didn't make you a heroin addict. No, I mean I was already an addict. Yeah. I mean, looking back now, now that I have a good understanding of like they, you know the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, which is what defines an addiction. Can you say that one more time? It is an allergy (laughs) of the body and an obsession obsession of of the the mind. mind. It is a thinking disease. (laughs) It is a disease. 
And, you know, it's like, it's hard for... <laughs> we can play that back if you'd like. I want to make sure that's very clear. I think we got it. I want to make it very clear because I know that it's hard for people to wrap their brains around that. Like, my you mom... You mean you didn't want to be a heroin addict? Oh, my God. It was like what you I... Didn't, you weren't... Which what didn't. I dreamed about when I was a child. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be addicted to heroin. Right. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to be a heroin addict. And then I'm yeah, going to be a heroin addict and throw it all away. Yeah. Totally. No. Yeah. No, that wasn't the case. Yeah. But I know that even with um, a couple conversations I've had with my mom, you know, uh, recently me and my mom have been working on reestablishing our relationship and the relationship between me, her, and my daughter, but also... You know, me and her have been out to brunch a couple times, just me and her, because my relationship with my mother is obviously sacred to me. Mm-hmm. And even still, it's I believe that it's kind of hard for her to wrap her head around the fact that this is a disease. Like, you wouldn't be mad at someone who had cancer, would you? Right. You just throw your hands in the air and be like, why don't you just not have cancer anymore? But people think... I mean, I, just to play the other side of this for a minute, people think that you've made choices. They, that, that's what I hear. Well, haven't you, didn't you choose to, 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 to choose to, 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 you know, whatever, you right. know. How would you respond to that? Um, I believe that at first we all have choices, but when you choose to, when you choose to do heroin, there comes a point in your youth that you don't have a choice anymore. You're just consumed with, I got to have more, I got to have more, I got to have more. And there's nothing that you won't sacrifice right. to get it. Like, Well, that w- you couldn't have described what addiction is any better. <laughs> I mean, really, really, right? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. You right. lost... You lost the ability to choose. Exactly. And that's what people don't understand. Because if you haven't lost the ability to choose... You're probably not an addict. Well, you're not an addict, but for, for somebody... for the, I always call pe- people out there citizens. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever word you want to use for people that are not addicted to something. If you're not addicted to something, then it's very hard to conceive of losing the capacity to choose. Right. Because they haven't lost the capacity to right. choose. You right. did. Exactly. You know, I don't know how you explain that to somebody because it's not a... I mean, it's really tricky. It's not a rational thing. And it's not. It's total insanity. I believe the true definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um, For those people that don't understand it, I would tell them to spend 8 to $10 on um, an awesome book called The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Or uh, maybe is that what it costs? Eight to ten bucks. I think it's like eight dollars for the soft covers and ten dollars for the hard covers. I've heard that it's the most stolen book out of the library. Have you ever heard that? No. Yeah. Who yeah. Have you heard that? From a yeah, because well, somebody's too embarrassed to buy it, so they go to the library and steal it. You, know? you should not be embarrassed. Don't do that. Don't right. do Don't that. Don't do that. Don't buy, buy the book. <laughs> go to Hazelden.com or something. Right. Oh my God. So <laughs> you can just bring it back to the library. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you need to Most go to a meeting. Most meetings will probably just give you one. Or that's sure. why we pass the basket for stuff so, like that. So when you're talking to your mom and she has trouble understanding. I think she's getting it now. Yeah. I don't know if my mom's been going to Al-Anon or like family sessions, but like somewhere along the way it was like something's kind of clicked in her where she knew that she couldn't be around me, she couldn't talk to me, she finally identified the fact that she was enabling me and that I wasn't there. She couldn't love me sober. She couldn't love me better. She couldn't fix me. Right. And I think from a mom's standpoint that that's really a hard concept to grasp. Like, there's nothing you can do to help your child. Well, it's, 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 it's a helpless feeling. It's heartbreaking. And it it totally is. That's it's a, heartbreaking. Yeah. For a, for a mom. Yeah. And you know that on Wednesday night, um, when you're speaking on Wednesday night, you'll be speaking with a, a woman, who a mom, mm-hmm. whose daughter is a heroin addict. Who's an active addict? Um, well, she has some... She's gotten some stuff together. Okay, good. Um, I, you know, it's yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, she. I, so it'll be an interesting. It'll be a really great. You're a great match for her because you'll be more of. You know, you'll be like in a position where I'm sure she wished that her daughter could have been. I mean, I don't wish what I've been through on anybody, but I truly believe that. All of my experiences, be them good or bad, have molded and shaped me into the person that I am today. And I wouldn't trade my life as it is for anything. And this is just the beginning. Like, yeah, we're just getting, we're just getting rolling. I know, right? Yeah, and like, we're having a good time. So I this, even, you know, I mean, this I could only get better. I know. I can't even believe it. But let me ask you this: So you started shooting up with. With with Steve, and then and then it went. We've already said you've been through numerous treatments. Couple, yeah, treatments, you know, and he went in IOPs, and out of jail. Rehabs. Yeah, and yeah. I mean it was like a horrible downward spiral. Um, you he, know, he, we we had a baby in the mix of all of that, and I don't mean to just downplay it like that, but it it kind of just was like, yeah, I had a baby. Like there was never a bond or an attachment formed because my whole world revolved around heroin mm-hmm. and it was sad to say and Steve passed away from a heroin overdose in May of 2011 and after he passed away I like just white knuckled staying clean for I don't even want to say two months maybe like six weeks or so and then you know went back out started using again and was just bound and determined to join him like I just I didn't want to live anymore he died three days before our five-year anniversary and um it was just May is like a horrible month for me um his his uh the anniversary of his his death and my father's death are both in May Mm -hmm. within like a week of each other I think so May was a really tough months for me this year but I mean it's just one other thing that I got to you know to experience sober Mm -hmm. and you know to people that deal with things like that and have to struggle with situations like that in recovery I just want to say that you know we have the tools laid at our feet there's fellowship and sponsorship and meetings and literature and you know nothing is worth going back out 
And, and you told me, like, again, when we were talking before the show, that you have a support system now that you never dreamed you would have. I never, I live in a sober house in Woodstock, and, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this crazy, insane addiction that I've had to mend my whole life, and girls were just the absolute enemy to me. My whole mm-hmm. life, they were the enemy. I didn't want anything to do with them. I got along better with boys, and that was just the end of it. And today, I don't know what I would do without my gals. Yeah. Because they are just there for me. Like, how are you? I'm fine. Fine is not a feeling, and they're not going to let fine fly as mm-hmm. an answer. There's just, mm-hmm. it's not happening. I cannot even, even if I'm just thinking about something, like, I'm an overthinker, and they can, are, we're just so close in relationships that we're just, I just feel like we're tuned in to each other's energies, and if you're, like, you know, a little off kilt or whatever, the people that are close to you can feel that, and they're going to call me on my crap, you know, mm-hmm. and I love them for that. Usually, mm-hmm. I just want to, like, punch them in the face or mm-hmm. something, but today, I'm just extremely grateful for for the fellowship and especially for the ladies that I live with because that's who I spend the majority of my time with. Mm -hmm. If I'm, you know, not at work, I'm at home and these women have been there for me through thick and thin. They have been there for me to pick me up off the floor when they come home from work and tell me like, go take yourself to the shower, relax, Mm -hmm. get dressed, go for a walk, Here's some chocolate. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I don't know. I I I know that there's no way I would have made it this far if it wasn't for the girls in the house. So tell me what what else you do for like what 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 are what would you say are your recovery activities now? What is what does your recovery look like? What does it consist of? Um I love meetings. Mm-hmm. I never ever would have even thought that. I had a small stint of sobriety in 2010. I was just talking to, I forgot your name. John. John. I was talking John. to John. John. Johnny Applebee. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to John outside about how I had a small stint of sobriety in 2010 and all these cliches and the stuff on the wall and like AA clubs or whatever. I didn't like the readings and the meditations. I don't understand any of it. I, it, they annoyed me one day at a time and keep coming back and all it works if you work it and all this stuff. I was just like, oh, what the hell are these people talking about? <laughs> Today, it's not that way. Like, I love these 12 step programs, I mm. love them. They what are, happened? Did <laughs> just sink in one day or it something? Was, it's almost amazing. And in that awesome book we were talking about, the big book, right. I think you know, there's a whole appendix on a spiritual experience. Uh-huh. And I truly believe that, you know, that is what has happened. Because one day it was just like someone, you know, the spirit of the universe is what I call it. It was just like a, a switch. Mm-hmm. Just poof. You get it all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. The cliches make sense. The readings make sense. The book makes sense. I trusted the fellowship. They weren't the enemy anymore. And it just, it is the first thing that I have been passionate passionate about mm-hmm. when it comes to myself and my life for 
a decade now, almost. Just like my sober house, we were just talking about it, is the first home that I've had, not just like a flop house or somewhere where I stayed for a few weeks before whatever, you know, right. it is the first home that I've had for an extremely long time. And, you know, there's value in that to me yeah. today. So what keeps me sober? Um, I work the steps. One of my favorite mottos and, you know, my friends out there, we all say it too, like work the steps or die, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, spiritually, sometimes physically. It's sad, but 12-step programs are just kind of like a map for you to figure out who you are, where you were, and where you're going. Like, these are the areas you need to work on. And how to get there. And how to get there. It's a map, you know. Like, you want a better life? Like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Here's your solution. Every problem that I encounter today, you, you know, I have a choice today, which is a beautiful thing, and it's nothing short of a miracle that any problem that I encounter I can either sit in the problem or get working on the solution. And I know that, you know, through the fellowship and the readings and meetings, there's nothing that I could encounter that that can't be solved. So let me ask you, a lot of people, you know, one of the reasons that we're doing this thing, this, this thing on Wednesday night, or at least part of what motivates us to do it and to bring it to the public's attention is because so many people die. Oh god. So many people die. You know, not the case so much with other drugs, but when it comes to heroin, people die in flocks. Right. And have been around here for 10 years yeah. or more. And you didn't die. <laughs> you didn't die. And even so when I tried to, yeah. even though you try even though you tried, do you ever wonder about what what that's about? Like what are, what you know, here you are. Here I am. You know, what's the, what what's the I just what's the takeaway on that? I have I I mean I don't think that any addict is more special or different than any other. I mean we all suffer from the same disease. Again, it's a disease. <laughs> is it a disease? It's a disease. All right. However, you know, and I've spoken to people that are just strictly alcoholics about this, you know, that kind of get missed or whatever. If I slip up and talk about, you know, using heroin in an AA meeting or something, I said, you know, I don't think I'm unique or special, but if an alcoholic were to relapse and go to the bar and have one shot, they're not going to fall off their bar stool and hit the floor dead. If a heroin addict decides to relapse and go out and get one bag, they will fall to the floor and die. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think heroin addiction just takes you to the deepest layer of hell, the deepest layer of hopelessness and despair, and it just consumes you. It's you know, the devil's best friend. It's the mother bitch of all drugs. Excuse my language. It is just the darkest, deepest hole in hell that you could have ever possibly imagined. Right, and it has all the same, but it has all the same, uh, you know, the same amount of denial or maybe more goes along with it. So when you're in it, you don't, you don't think like that. Right. 
Doesn't you look just, like doesn't like it looks like heaven to you. Right, because you just love being numb. I mean, you right. don't feel anything, and I don't know. Well, I think you got saved for something. Maybe you don't know what you got saved for. Maybe you maybe that'll come to you some other time, I or think maybe I got saved to help people. Yeah, you like probably ever, did. I mean, ever since I got sober, there's just been a passion put on my heart to just get out there and tell people that. You don't have to live and die using heroin. That If I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I started an HA meeting, I think I was like a month and a half sober. And my counselors at Rosecrans were like, you might want to wait until you have a little bit more sobriety. And I was like, no, like we need to do this. There are people dying in our county every day. Like heroin addicts, again, they're not unique or special. However... You, I don't feel comfortable going to an AA meeting and speaking freely about the lifestyle or sticking needles in my arms or the things that I did to get money to pay for heroin in an AA, in an AA meeting because they can't identify with that. And I don't know if they feel uncomfortable or whatever. And that's really why I, you know, told my counselors like we need HA so people. So can, you do both things. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, in HA. Because there's only how many? There's only like maybe two or three HA meetings in the county now. I I don't even know for sure, but it's not many. Yeah. It's not many. We're talking about maybe having it another night, but we work out of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But it's just a meeting for people to come and speak freely about those things and just get an idea of like how did you do it. So let me let me ask you. I'm gonna we're gonna have to wrap it up here, but I want to ask you like one last question, and I usually end with this question, and that is, if you could say one thing, and maybe you maybe you've already said it, but if you could say one thing to somebody out there who's struggling with dope and doesn't know what to do, and they're 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 lost, they're scared, maybe they're hopeless. What would you say to them if you could say one thing? I would tell them that there are countless other people that have found a way out and that you don't have to live your life in fear and you don't have to be numb to everything. And I know that it's scary and I know it's going to be uncomfortable and painful and it's going to be work, but I promise you it'll be worth it. It gets better. It totally gets better. <laughs> I have heard that. I don't know where I heard that, but I have heard that. All right, well, we're going to have to close for tonight, but I want to, you know, just thank you for being here. For thank sure. You. Thank you for telling your story and being Thanks who you are. This is awesome. And I'll, and I'll see you again Wednesday, Wednesday night. Wednesday night is going to be awesome. Wednesday night, McHenry County College, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Bring a friend. Be there or be square. Bring a friend. Absolutely. Exactly. Yay. So, um, anyway, uh, thank you for being here, and thanks to you guys, the studio audience, and uh, those out there who are listening. We appreciate your listening. We'll keep you posted about the, about the time change if we decide to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't affect anything. It won't affect the podcast listeners or those who listen later anyway, just those who listen live. Sure. And, uh, or those that are here in the studio audience. Or those that are here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about you guys. <laughs> okay. Hey, we might do it an hour earlier, you know? Okay, yeah. yeah well, we'll, yeah, the, the, time, the time change, you know, whatever. Anyway, remember to check Recovery Internet Radio. That's recoveryinternetradio.com. 
uh, for all our archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list. I did get a notification from somebody that they signed, they went to the website, signed up, and didn't get on the email list. We're going to check that out. We'll have our technical director. Yeah, technical director. Get right on that. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you just got another new title. Hey. Yeah, engineer and technical director. Lots of hats. Um, oh, yeah. So, as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show tonight. We'll see you at 8 o'clock next Sunday night. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>